This is Coda Radio, episode 112 for August 4th, 2014. Everyone and welcome to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this year's show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Chris. I missed you. I missed you too. How is the puppy? Uh, the puppy is okay. The puppy uh, was diagnosed with a rough case of being stupid. Uh, is it one of those things where, like, I had a dog that would get these rashes yep. and then just scratch and scratch and then begin to chew and all that kind of yep. – it just gets nasty. He gnawed a hole into his side, basically. Oh, yeah. So Sorry, well. now he's he's healing up. He's got the cone of shame. So <laughs> Our apologies for missing last week, but uh, it happened uh, right, you know, right a little bit before we were uh, scheduled to yep. go on air, and so – uh, actually, I might as well, while we're thinking about it, mention it right now. We're t- to do a make good for you guys, we're going to do a special call-in episode of Coda Radio later this week. So we're recording this live right now. This is a Monday. It's uh, noon on the West Coast, about 3 p.m. on the East Coast. And uh, we're going to do a show on Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. And we're going to do a call-in episode. That'll be this Thursday coming up right now. And so if you're in a time machine and listening to us in the past, that's going to be August 7th. 2014. And so that'll be right between Tech Talk Today and TechSnap. We'll do a special call-in edition of Coda Radio. So join us live at jblive.tv. We'll have a mumble room, which you can get the details for. So get mumble installed on your computer. It's open. It's an open source chat program. It's good. It has pretty good quality. Please use a headset. And uh, we will have uh, mods who will double check your audio quality, and then you'll be brought into an on-air room. And uh, all the info to how to get to that server, go to jblive.tv. We have an embedded chat room. Bang, mumble. It gives you the server info. And we'll take your calls. We have a couple of topics, but we'd love for you to bring some topics, too. So that'll be on Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. That'll be our makeup episode as a little uh, sorry. we Because mi- we had a great streak going. So we're going we're we to keep it going. And heaven forbid, heaven forbid that there, we close the gap between Unfilter and Coda Radio, right? Because you've got to keep Coda Radio ahead. Yeah, no, we can't let those those, those tinfoil hat bastards catch up. No, of course not. Uh, all right, so uh, why don't we get into our, our email. So happy hacking. Our first one in here comes from... Uh, uh, I'm sorry, was that the ghost of Stallman past? Uh, I got... Okay, I was going to just try to slip this in, but I'm so excited to play it for you that can I... Do I have your permission to go off on a sidetrack and play something? Go for it. All right, this was sent in. Uh, by, uh, I believe, listener Mark. If I'm the father of open source, it was done by artificial insemination with stolen sperm. (laughs) Uh, What? (laughs) That's phenomenal. It's a complicated relationship. Uh, Yes, it it seems that way. Yeah, I was sitting on that one. How did you get that? When did that happen? He founded a talk, you know, and, uh, you know, actually, I think it's it's actually Stallman kind of being humble if you think about it, because listen to what he's saying. I'm the father of open source. It was done by artificial insemination with stolen sperm. So he's kind of actually being humble. He's saying, look, if I'm the father of open source, I didn't know about it. 
in his own way. <laughs> um, I, I, I really told myself all morning too. I was gonna I was gonna find a smooth way to work that into the show. Oh but my I, god, I, that I was just... like the weirdest. All right, so uh, so Lesh writes in. Yeah. All right. Uh, so uh, Krim says, uh, uh, "Hi, Mike and Chris and chat room. Well, isn't that nice? Chat room is along for the ride. In fact, chat room get to bang suggesting, would you? Uh, but maybe leave the." clip thing out uh okay <clears throat> anyways he says i wrote in a few months ago uh, about why i broke up my long-term affair with mono and that i was considering play framework as a replacement stack since mike spoke so highly about it though or uh through the play framework i discovered scala and the wonders of functional programming my interest grew even deeper when i installed scala on my laptop and tried some example code in the helpful tool. Uh, it's a Scala interactive shell, he says. Think that. However, I found very soon that I was not able to dedicate enough time during the week to learn Scala due to my full-time job doing the .NET development. Something had to be done. I thought to myself, I have this wonderfully powerful device on me all the time. My Nexus 5. Surely I should be able to put it to use to help me spend more time with Scala. So began my experiment. I rooted my Nexus 5, installed Linux Deploy from the Play Store, and installed a Chroot Arch Linux environment. Okay, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, he says, I also installed Juice SSH Client and a VNC Viewer application. I already had Terminal ID, and I installed it, which had a great Android keyboard geared towards software development on Android. I second that. If you, wanna, if you are a bit of a masochist and you want to do actual software development on your Android device, Terminal IDE is a great app for doing that. This is the last piece of the puzzle once he had all of this set up. He bought a $25 Bluetooth keyboard. Uh, it's called Anker, A-N-K-E-R. It's compatible with the Nexus 5. He fired up the Arch to root on his phone. He downloaded Tmux and Vim using Pac-Man and Oracle Java 7 packages from the AUR. Then he installed TypeSafe from the AUR. He also downloaded Vim plugins and all that good stuff. It all worked. Using the setup described above, he was able to not only learn how to program Scala, but now he's also able to write software using the Play framework. He can test it on the phone's browser. The code is backed up on GitHub, and I can work on the same code base from anywhere as long as I have my Nexus 5 and a data connection. After the recent KitKat update with Cast Screen, I'm able to cast my phone screen to my big screen HDTV with, over Chromecast, which solves the issue of relatively small Nexus 5 screen for the purpose of development. This experience has made me appreciate Vim, Tmux, and the terminal in general as a whole new, at a whole new level. Even on my laptop, I now find myself doing more coding in Vim instead of IntelliJ. Think about it. You can now get a decent Android box or even a phone with a setup similar to what I described and have a full-fledged development environment. He says, side note for the chat room, I went with Oracle Java instead of OpenJDK due to issues with OpenJDK on ARM chips. Uh, thanks for the great show. And Chris, Karim is a he, not a she. Mike usually gets that right. Take care. Now, that is a tricked-out Nexus 5 setup using Terminal IDE, a Bluetooth keyboard, and now... kind of nuts, right? So he's doing, like, real dev on his Nexus 5. Well, I mean, this is what Canonical's been talking about, right? Uh, this is yeah, one device to rule them all. Yeah, but Canonical's saying, like, plug it into a dock and, yeah. you know, project it to a 20-inch LCD. I mean, Canonical's... Okay, when you bring in Bluetooth and right. the Chromecast capabilities... Does it make it more reasonable? Here's uh, let me let me color your uh, before you answer. Let me give you a little background color. So on my trip on the train, I my my main use because you know it's about a f- all told before the train leaves and while you wait for it to park and all that, it's about a four hour ride each way. And uh, I knew that a laptop might be able to make it. I might be able to get power outlets, maybe, but it was a, it was guaranteed that an iPad would make it with, you know, room to spare. Uh, 
And so I brought a uh, – I have a Bluetooth keyboard for the iPad that's sort of like – it's like a dock thing. It, it's kind right. of ridiculous. But it actually – it's amazing how well the keyboard works. Yeah, and I just got one as well actually, actually this weekend. So. And, and I'll tell you what, man. I was using the IRC. I was on Google Docs. I was reading. I was marking up things for show notes. I was responding to uh, emails and it was very functional. Uh, I, I wouldn't be, be able to do beyond what I was doing there, but – uh, for me, I felt like I was actually getting valuable work done all from a tablet, and I think the keyboard played a big role in that. So I could maybe see how if you have very limited income or, you know, uh, like my kids, really, they don't have anything else except for really tablets right now. Dylan, I just gave him a laptop, but, you know, he's not, you know, you know what I mean? Like, this is his, that, the tablet really is his computer, so that's, you think tablet first in his case. Do you think maybe... We look at this and kind of scoff a little bit because we're old, and this maybe crims onto something here. Well, I mean, speak for yourself, old man. I do fifty percent of my work on an iPad. Whoa, okay, Tim Cook. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I scoff a bit. I'm not going to lie. I so I, I guess this is totally doable and not a problem. And kudos to him. But I even scoff when I see like the touch PCs at the Microsoft Store. Yeah, Best Buy. yeah. A I mean, bit. I'm I'm way back in. Where's my mouse? Where's my keyboard? You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't think I would use it beyond that. Like, uh, so if you gave me that the same setup and I didn't have the confinements of uh, mobility, because also it's very convenient on a train just to carry on a tablet, not a laptop bag, right? And if I didn't have the requirements of needing like a solid maybe four plus hours of battery life, I would probably opt to do the work on a laptop. I would probably not. I would not. If everything, all other options were nullified, I would choose a laptop over a tablet almost every time. Unless it's certain constraints. That's all. Yeah. Uh, Alish writes in. Uh, and uh, this is good because we finally got somebody writing in defense of Glade. Sorry I didn't get a chance to send my comment in last week, but I just wanted you guys to know that there is someone out there that actually likes Glade. In fact, I much prefer it over the Interface Builder. Uh, note the last version of Interface Builder I used in OS X was 10.3. Uh, it isn't very pretty. Uh, it has some quirks, but the XML format lends itself quite well to version control and the integration into code, Python, was far easier than anything else I've ever used. However, after becoming more experienced and actually maintaining software, I've come to agree that the only way to go about building your interface is programmatically. Interface design tools are just toys, and they really drag you down if you need to actually maintain the software. Whoa! Mike, what say you? No, I would agree with that. I mean, what was it, last episode we had that talk about the UI design tools? It was kind of like selecting the least smelly piece of crap. <laughs> it, it just, you know, to, to, to spoil the lead a little bit, I've been doing a lot with Xamarin recently. Um, and they have an offering called Xamarin Forms where your UI is totally uh, programmatic in this really weird C-sharp scripting thing. But it's so much cleaner to work with than any kind of drag-and-drop UI tool. Interesting. Well, there's a little hint of uh, what we're going to be talking about and just or part of what we're going to be talking about. Just, I got one last email. Should we do this last one? Let's it's, do it. It's kind of important because uh, I like to get the perspective from folks who don't watch the show anymore. And, you know, as you know, uh, former friend of the show, Egon, doesn't watch anymore. <laughs> I shouldn't give him a hard time because he totally this, feels bad this, about it. <laughs> this poor guy. Um, so Egon wrote in. He says, hi, Coder Radio. It's Egon again. I have the perfect solution for Ian's problem. Now, Ian was our friend who was uh, asking about making money off open source. He says, right. this is a solution that I apply to myself. This is why I really like getting this one. 
just donate a certain share of the net profit you make back to the project. I usually donate 10%. So the project is benefiting twice from a wider adoption and proper implementation by you and from the donation. Love the show. Keep on rocking. Egan from, Egon from Austria, where we don't have kangaroos. Good day, Nate. <laughs> Put another uh, shrimp on the... I can't yeah. even pretend like I think he's enough. Put one shrimp on the... No, I can't even pretend like... I, I just feel like... Yeah. Pe- people just think, oh, they, they really don't know that it's not Australia. I mean, because yeah. people assume the worst about Americans when they're outside the U.S. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a cool idea. If you're turning a, a nice profit on a project based on open source and 10% back, that seems... It's like tithing. Yeah, it is, in a way. tithing thing, yeah. And it's like paying it forward. And because uh, you also have to figure in a sense that if you keep that open source project going, they're going to continue to better that product, which means you'll be able to continue to utilize it and land more contracts and, and go back to those previous clients and be like, hey, you know that uh, OwnCloud 5 instance I set up for you? Well, guess what? They just released OwnCloud 7 and it's right. way better. Let me upgrade you now. Like that can be an ongoing thing that you go back and do from time to time. Speaking of OwnCloud, we just interviewed the uh, founder of OwnCloud on the Linux Action Show on Sunday, and OwnCloud 7 is looking really good. In fact, I've set up OwnCloud 7 on a digital ocean droplet, which is probably a great opportunity to mention our first sponsor this week, and that is DigitalOcean. Head over to DigitalOcean.com and brand new promo code, so buckle your brains up, because this, this one's going to be a challenge. It's Coder August. Now, here's the thing. You're probably a developer, so I'm going to assume you can grasp the basic syntaxes and things and nuances of the languages as it is, so get ready for this. Coder August, it's all lowercase. Marinate that in your brain for a second. Coder August. Now, here's why you want to keep that in mind. Let me tell you a little bit about DigitalOcean and why they rock so freaking hard. There's simple cloud hosting dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. Users can create a cloud server in about 55 seconds, and pricing plans start at about $5 a month. If you use our promo code, this remember I told you about this promo code, the one you're supposed to marinate, Coder August, it gets you a $10 credit. So you can try out the $5 rig for two months for free. And here's what you'll get. 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one blazing fast CPU, and a terabyte of transfer connected to tier one bandwidth. And DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and Mike, I don't know if you knew this, brand new data center in London. And it comes with a box of Twinings, too. <laughs> and, and it still uses that rockin' interface. It's simple. It's intuitive. It's a really a great control panel. And power users can even replicate it on a larger scale with their very straightforward API. I've been told it's a great-looking API. You know, uh, I, when I went over to DigitalOcean, I was checking out their one-click installs. And here's, so here's a great example. You get a, a selection of distributions that you go with, obviously, right? Then you pick the software you want to deploy, and they have... Anything you can deploy on a Linux box, you can use. This is stuff where it's like, here's the most recent version. Here's a stack. It's configured. You're ready to go. You deploy this. And they've got things like Docker, Ruby on Rails, WordPress, the entire LAMP stack, GitLab. I mean, there's one right there. That's really all you need to know. There's so many great options over there. You know, that's why I've been using DigitalOcean now to synchronize my files. And now I'm using them for own cloud, too, which also has a synchronization component. And when you use the promo code CODERAUGUST, you're going to get that $10 credit. You can try it out for free. And you can see why the SSDs really do make a difference and why it was genius for DigitalOcean to base their whole infrastructure off that from the get-go. They made that early investment. They combined it with some awesome underlying technology and that amazing interface. DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code CODERAUGUST when you check out. And a big thank you, by the way. You guys, something you you might not know about. 
this is really cool because not a lot of uh, a lot of places do this. If you make your purchase and then you realize you forgot to apply the promo code in the dashboard area, you can actually go back and retroactively apply the credit, which is really neat because sometimes people go sign up and they forget to use the promo. So if that happened to you, which I've heard from a few folks, uh, don't feel guilty. You can actually uh, still give us credit for that when you use the promo code Coder August. All right, Mike. So uh, I, you know, we've we I almost feel like we've been accidentally building to this topic over like the last three weeks. So we talked uh, maybe even the last four weeks because first we talked about material and what Google's trying to do with design and how materials sort of, um, you know, their attempt to kind of make Android a, have a unified look that works in multiple different uh, form factors. Then we talked about building interfaces and the tools that are available for that and how much they suck. And then you had a blog post, uh, or at least, I don't know if you wrote it, but, uh, oh yeah, it was on your blog, over at DominicM.com. You wrote up a review of the uh, Zamarian, is it the is it the entire suite, or are you just looking at the forms aspect in this review? So, this review is actually just looking at uh, vanilla Xamarin, so this gets a little weird. Uh, oh, lay it on me. Xamarin uh, has two very different offerings. One is what, in the past, was just called Xamarin, which is... Basically, a, and this is a gross oversimplification, right? But basically, a C sharp wrapper around native iOS and native Android APIs. And that one, you know, we were talking about the user interface tools before. That one actually uses the, uh, you know, the storyboard files out of uh, iOS and uses the same Android layout files. Very much just say, do you know C sharp? Do you want to do mobile? Let's do it, right? Some limited code sharing, but not a ton using classic Xamarin. Then there's this new offering called Xamarin Forms, which is totally different. Okay. Um, this review is only of Xamarin, and the reason for that is Xamarin Forms is incredibly new. Okay. That makes sense. And uh, I am doing some work with it, but, I mean, you know, just kind of a full disclosure thing. It's so new that when you're working with it, you're talking to the developers working on it kind mm, of thing. Okay. And they're saying there's things that they haven't finished yet, the stuff like that. Xamarin Forms is certainly not something you're going to want to ship in your enterprise unless it's like a Skunk Works project just yet. Well, I, I'm kind of – in a way, I feel like maybe this is an opportunity. I'm going to – you know, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about it because uh, I think being just full, fully honest with you is I hold uh, multi-level biases towards Xamarin. Right. Uh, and I've, I and I think kind of some of that comes from like real basic, where I've seen like yes, we can create something that's not the native, not from the native uh, SDK and IDE, and we'll build it out into a binary that you can drop on that platform. It'll be just like it made it in Xcode, just like that, only not quite. And then you go to actually use it, and it's crap. So I've got like this bias towards these. Build it in the you know this completely foreign uh, language you know so in this case maybe and I could be completely misunderstanding but you write something in C sharp but the target platform they expect you on that platform to use the target language is Objective C so you're not create it's like a it's like it's almost like you're sneaky you're getting away with something a little bit you're sneaking it past the cops and uh, submitting this app that uh, you made with uh, with with the outlaw development environment. That's, I'm I'm kind of exaggerating the bias, but yeah, that's what so that's what I conjure up when I think of Zamarian. I mean, I I am right on the hater train with you, and you know, software written in real basic, software written in uh, even some of the old Java GUI kits were terrible, right? Yeah, uh, one yeah. might argue that Java FX is also <laughs> terrible. Oh, but so the road to Xamarin. I mean, we've been doing Xamarin for almost for actually several months now. 
Um, and the road to Xamarin was kind of, a, you know, Chris, do you remember dating in high school? Yeah. You know, it started with a little bit of a, you know, a look in a hallway. Yeah. Maybe a quick chat at a locker. You, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I here. dialed in that uh, the band geeks were definitely the low-hanging fruit for a computer. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> what? No, I mean, but band wow. girls need love too, man. I'm, it's not a disservice. I'm taking. I'm. I'm. I, I'm. Uh, I was answering a market need. What? Come on. <laughs> the true capitalist. Um, <laughs> anyway, my point is, this has been something of a long flirtation. Yeah. Um, and it's it's why you know some of the folks writing and um, I won't say complaining, but I will say bitching that we haven't covered any technical tools was because I wasn't sure that I wanted to just discuss Xamarin because I know sometimes people take everything I discuss as like a super endorsement and kind of get pissed off when it doesn't work out for them. So I kind of played it cool, right? You wanted to kind of. Uh... Well, I wanted to. I wanted to be sure I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Xamarin is a tool that solves a problem. Now, the problem we've been having is we get lots of people who call and say, uh, hey, fingertip, we want an app, we want it on both platforms, we really don't have the budget, right? Now, we flirted with various HTML5 solutions. We've done projects, we've shipped successful projects in various HTML5 solutions. But there's just something about the HTML5 solutions that never really satisfied me. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the one that you've probably heard of the most is PhoneGap, and PhoneGap is not something we recommend. Um, it's just not good, right? When, when you're doing a PhoneGap project, you're shooting for almost okay. Like, that's the top you're going to get. Titanium is better. Um, the folks over at Telerec have something that's pretty interesting. But again, when we tried it out, it was very immature. So I've always, you know, so we have a market problem of people want dual platform apps, right? And I'm using the phrase dual platform rather than cross intentionally. So by dual, do you, do you mean iOS and, and Android? Android? So not like iOS and web or Android and web? No, no, no. no. That's so a little case, depressing, but okay. Well, to be fair though, right, your mileage may vary. I mean, Fingertip Tech has a reputation for oh, mobile yeah, solutions. Oh, yeah, true. Right, yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah. yeah. We, we haven't done, a, I mean, we've done a lot of web work, but a lot of it's of that silent right, subcontracting yeah. kind of crap where we can't show it. So. Right, no, that makes sense. You're known, you're, you kind of got a reputation for that particular area, so that's... In fact, I, I can't tell you how many times another vendor's ended up doing the web application just because our customer didn't know we did it. Right, yeah, yep, yep. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there is a level of self-selectingness to this, where if you're in a general interactive agency or web development company... You know, Xamarin probably doesn't make a lot of sense for you, right? I mean, if you're a pure HTML5 shop, Xamarin is probably not the way to go. Sure. So anyway, we have this problem where we have, you know, we've also been getting a, a lot more, let's say, line of business type work rather than consumer. Or maybe it's consumer, but it's it's consumer for one specific industry, right? It's like prosumer kind of stuff. Okay. Where you're not so worried about gradients of wood, which thank God Apple killed on iOS seven, and you're you're you know you're you're not really shooting for the TechCrunch reading crowd, right? Right. You're shooting more for, you know, we're in this trade, and all my guys need to carry this and do their job. It needs to be functional, you and know. It needs to be on both platforms. Yeah. And this is my budget. Okay. So double native is incredibly expensive, right? And 
there's this, in my mind, this fallacy of, oh, well, the development cost in double native is expensive. It is. But if you're doing two totally native code bases separate, the big cost is going to be that maintenance cost, right? Hmm. You have to maintain both platforms totally independently of each other. So we got into a way of, we have this certain class of customer. Now we still offer native development. We still have a lot of customers who take us up on native development. But we have this certain group of customers, this certain, for, for very good business reasons, right? Because of what they're doing, need a, a dual platform, uh, somewhat more cost-sensitive solution. That's where Xamarin kind of comes in. And, and I would imagine, too, oftentimes this is probably something that ties into maybe something that's a specific application that's unique to their industry or something that's semi-common, you know, like a Salesforce yes. backend or something like that. That We're, we're not cloning Instagram and Xamarin. Right. Yeah. It's, it's right. stuff that, like, there's some database stuff you're going to have to be able to do, right, that kind of thing. Whatever. A lot of it's like interacting with their internal service. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're back in. They're back. You know, you've got to be able to search something and I pull mean, up the result from their database. It's more, more B2B. I, I feign to use the word enterprise because these companies aren't, you know, enterprise big, but. Okay. Yeah. It's, it, it's more business prosumer than consumer, these apps. Were doing. Again, not all of them. We still do consumer apps. It's, this is just a growing segment of. Yeah, actually, I mean, I could honestly see um, pretty easily. Like uh, a lot of the stuff, it's interesting. A lot of the, our equipment now has an API in a way. Uh, so, like yeah. our, our mixer and uh, the lights, and um, a few other things can all be controlled. Like uh, they all have APIs available to them, and we could have like a Jupiter Broadcasting automation app that talks to this stuff. And I would maybe, in theory, be able to have like you know modes you go into last mode, coder radio mode, and it would then send the like a universal remote. <laughs> it probably worked just as well too. Right. But that yeah, that I mean and we're not some big enterprise, but that as these technologies kind of just become more common, it, I could see us wanting to do something like that. Right. And from a cost perspective, some of these companies are actually allowing people to bring their own device rather than purchase let's say 200 iPads because it's cheaper, right? You don't have to buy the device. Yeah. The problem is you have to then potentially support Android as well or vice versa, right? If you because let's be honest, a lot of enterprises, at least of the size we're dealing with, are buying cheap um, Android devices oh. rather than iPads, purely out of a cost uh, mm-hmm. cost cutting perspective. So um, I'm going to get into some of the more technical stuff on Xamarin in a, in a minute. I just kind of want to go over the case for it. But there is some code sharing. There are some nice little tricks you can do. So the other argument, the other business case we've been able to make for it is, hey, 200-person company. You know, you're not huge, but you have like a four-person IT department, right? Guess what technology your IT department probably already is familiar with? .NET. Right. C-sharp.NET. Yeah. Again, overall, theoretical overall cost of ownership is significantly lower in that case, right? Well, I mean, even if it, yeah, even if it's sort of, I mean, yeah, man, I mean, I, I could see that making such a difference if they're just, that's, the name of something they've heard of before. Like, even just that makes a difference. Oh, C-sharp? Yeah, we know what that is. Right. I mean, I you know, in the earlier quarter radios, I recounted the stories of convincing IT managers that, you know, using an Apple device wasn't going to bomb their exchange network, right? <laughs> yeah. So there, there's certainly a, a, let's say, brand recognition quality mm. to C-sharp. Yeah. Um, and, and, and now we're not going to talk about this today, too, but C-sharp is actually a phenomenal language. 
just gonna just gonna let that one slide for now. Um, Proprietary software is not ethical. It's actually open source now. Then your description is is not accurate. Wow. What happens to you is not sufficiently important to justify the wrong you're doing. Yes, it is. I'm evil. What's wrong with that? Exactly. This is egregious. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'm all done. That was was our RMS update. All right, so continue on, sir. This is fascinating to me and actually quite illuminating. So quick recap, right? Cost, BYOB, which doesn't necessarily mean all those devices are going to be Android or or iOS, they're probably going to be some combination of both. And um, familiarity to IT, which is probably the most important thing on this list, right? So if you can't get through to the IT manager, or even worse, if there's just one IT guy, you can't make the sale. And I'm sure Chris would tell you the same thing. Right? I, I agree 100%, yeah. Like, if you, if you can't sell the guy in the technology you're using... Even if you do manage to make the sale, he's just going to create roadblocks. I definitely uh, – during my my career, I think it's really interesting as somebody who does the Linux Action Show too is I, I witnessed the uh, arc of I lost the deal because I wanted to use Linux and then I would have to sort of like learn to like sort of pivot on my feet and be like, oh, yeah, we could do it on Windows. And then like that arc finally concluded when I was leaving sort of the consulting gig as – you win by selling it on Linux. Yeah, that runs on Linux. Yep, it'll run. Yep, we can do that on Linux. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, that'll be no problem. Like, so it, it was a very fascinating thing because for a long time, there was this this sort of visceral bad reaction, uh, especially in the area I was working at because it was at that time in the education sector and there was a lot of money coming right. in from sure, Microsoft. Sure, sure. So there was like an extra little bit of preference towards Microsoft. Um, and then as I kind of expanded out from there, I, 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 I witnessed sort of the, the general shift in perception from IT departments to more and more over time started asking for Linux. You know, can you do that with Samba? You know, those kinds of things. That was really fascinating to me to watch because then all of a sudden became a market advantage to be able to say yes to that. Whereas in, when I started in my career, it was a market disadvantage. You know, it's funny. I actually recently lost the sale uh, because I wouldn't do something in Swift. <laughs> Swift? Because I'm afraid to ship Swift to a customer because it's not a 1.0 language and, you know, the syntax can change. And now, how, how does that even – is that even a thing yet? Apple has managed to advertise Swift to non-developers to the point where super, like, you know, middle management, you know, I'm the – random finance official from this company who's been designated the project manager for their company is like, oh, but we, we need Swift. Someone who considers them like, I'm, a, I'm an iPhone enthusiast. Well, it, it's, it, it's funny. Apple has managed to somehow create this sense to non-technical folks that by your app being written in Swift, it will somehow be better. Wow, that Even is though an, Swift is not finalized as a language in terms of syntax or APIs or anything. You know what that is, right? That is that is the strength and currency of brand that Apple has. That, it's, just, it's, it's, it's horrifying. Like That's amazing. And it sort of just switches off the critical thinking area of people's brains. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we ended up not being able to close the sale because, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm saying, well, we could do it in Swift, but... You know, what if Apple changes this syntax or something crazy midstream of this project? Let me tell you about my friend C Sharp, and they said no thanks. Well, we were we were actually saying, let me tell you about my friend Objective C, which well, yeah. worked fine for twenty years. My grandpa could have done this in Objective C, <laughs> kind of like. 
Um, but it's just funny how for these middle management pseudo technical types, if they get a name in their head that they recognize as good, mm-hmm. regardless of if their argument is based on reality, you have to sell into it or you, or you just can't sell. So do you think that uh, C-sharp has as much negative baggage associated with it as it has positive baggage? Or do you think it's all pretty much like when you come in there and say you're dropping things like the C-sharp bomb and Zamarian and iOS and Android in the same sentence, are people like receptive to that? Or are they like, uh, I, uh, I know Xcode, I know about Objective-C. What's the reaction? So outside of our little nerd bubble, uh, there's a couple important things. Uh, no one knows who Miguel de Acosta is or what Mono was. <laughs> right, right. So there's no baggage. Yeah. Everybody knows, and, and more importantly, every IT manager will sign off on C-Sharp. Right. And, th- and that's what That's the Microsoft brand right there. Right. And it's it's unfortunate. I but... don't know. In business, I mean, Microsoft has a really strong brand for kind of steady as it goes for business. Well, I, I think it's unfortunate because in a lot of ways, the C-Sharp systems or the .NET systems these companies are deploying or have previously deployed, yeah. Xamarin is a lot more modern than them. Right, mm. so there's still a little bit of a disconnect there. Okay, because you know you're running your 2003 uh, Microsoft server application. Yeah, you're still behind the ball, right? You're yeah. still you're still not exactly where you want it to be. Yeah, for sure. Um, I was very apprehensive about even getting involved with Xamarin at all, just because you know a lot of our customers are historically the people you know striving to be on TechCrunch or the well-funded incubators right mm. and microsoft is a dirty word over there mm-hmm. so is c-sharp yeah huge yeah huge batch but anyway you know it, it is not the be all and end all but it is another tool in the belt and i think chris i should tell you how it's being used yeah i'd be curious so the, the shtick with Xamarin is not the Java write once, run everywhere thing, first off. So get it out of your head. Um, and we're talking about vanilla Xamarin, right? We're not talking about Xamarin forms just yet. So it is not write once, run everywhere? No. No, 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 no. Hmm. Um, you know, if you read my review, I talk a lot about the tooling. Long story short, the tooling on Mac, uh, Xamarin Studio is phenomenal. Visual Studio integration is great, but extremely expensive. Right. And, and the... Uh, Xamarin Studio on Windows is a piece of shit. <laughs> and uh, it's very clear that they they assume that if you're on Windows, you can afford the Visual Studio license. Oh, okay. So I know this isn't your main point, but I right. wanted to ask you specifically, because this seems to be, because uh, I read your review, and what I got from this, uh, to me, I think long-term, one of the problems that's going to eat away at you is this particular issue. So how about before we discuss that, I want to mention Linux Academy because they're doing some cool stuff. And we're talking about learning new languages. We're talking about increasing our skill sets. And we're talking about ways you can improve yourself. And that's definitely LinuxAcademy.com. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders, too, is a place to go to get $5 off a month. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Now, what is Linux Academy, my friends? This is really awesome. A group of extremely enthusiastic Linux users who have a background in education said, you know, we have the ability to build the platform, provide the content. Let's go create something that people can subscribe to and they can learn on their own with comprehensive study guides that you can download offline in video and audio. They have seven-plus supported Linux distributions where the courseware adjusts to the distro that you choose. 
And they're always adding new things. That's why the monthly service makes so much sense. They've con- they're constantly getting better. They have an entirely new course called the OpenStack Essentials. It's 100% complete, and it's available at Linux Academy right now. You can get started on OpenStack and become an expert. They also have they have some live sessions as well. So a lot of times they'll have complimentary content that goes with things like these OpenStack courses where they'll do live Q&As, and you can ask them about that. So you can go directly to the expert, and hey, if you've got something even after you've gone through the courseware that you're still wondering about, they have these sessions available. And the brand-new AWS Certified SysOps Administration Prep course has really come together with 14 hours and actually... I might. I think it might actually be 15 hours of content now. I'm logged in right now over here at linuxacademy.com, and I fired up the AWS Certified SysOps Administrator Associates level. And what's great is right here at the beginning of the screen, if you're watching the video version, you can see all the details you're going to need to know to plan this. And then you just take it at your own pace. So this says module length is going to be 14 hours. What's really awesome is it actually breaks it down by each individual section. So I know, okay, I've got, okay, it's 14 hours total, but look, this section is seven minutes. This section is four minutes. This section here is 17 minutes. Well, okay, you know what? I can set aside about 40 minutes and do a couple of these. And then I can take some of the courseware with me and process it while I'm commuting using their audio files as I go and then come back and resume. And then I see exactly where I can stop, test myself, and continue on. Linux Academy is continually getting better, and they're always adding new things. They have virtual machines integrated with the courseware, so as you get to a point where you need to do something, they spin up a virtual machine on the background for you. Now, the really cool thing is, when you're doing AWS, they're also doing that for you. So you don't have to worry about paying AWS or signing up and getting all the key crap. And then you still get to go on and experience on the actual production AWS infrastructure, because that's what they're running on top of. And you do real-world scenarios. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Go there. Just visiting them and checking them out lets them know you appreciate them supporting the show. But I think, really, if you've been sitting around and thinking maybe there's something a little more you could be doing... Maybe go check them out, linuxacademy.com slash coders. So, Mr. Dominic, when I was reading your review and knowing you, too, like I, I know uh, at least from some of our conversations, it seems like to get in your, in your zone, to get in the flow where you know, you're like in the matrix and you're just piping, you're just right straight from the brain to your fingers, uh, don't you have to be kind of um, – don't, aren't you worried about if the tools are frustrating you, it's going to kind of prevent you from falling into that zone? And it sounds like, oh, this is great, this is great, but when it actually comes down to sitting down and using it, um, it's falling short. So I wouldn't say that's fair, right? It's so we're talking about the IDE in particular, yeah. Xamarin Studio. Studio, yeah. Uh, Xamarin Studio is is phenomenal on Mac. You know, okay. There's nothing wrong with it. It's okay. it's as good as you would expect it to be. There's it's you know it's not it's fine. It, it's it's a very competent IDE. And that's primarily where you'd be using it, I'd assume. Right. So I do have my desktop. Top workstation at my office is currently a Windows machine, though. Um, oh, due go to figure. Project. Well, due to another project. The so you would think that you know Xamarin Studio is a cross-platform IDE, it would be fine on Windows as well. And I was experiencing a lot of very strange issues on Windows. Um, syntax highlighting was incorrect. Oh. It was incorrectly marking things as errors that weren't, and That's... incorrectly marking things as valid that were errors. I mean, even if nothing else, super distracting. Right, and that's the thing. I spent like about an hour trying to figure it out, and it's <laughs> kind of Googled around, and it's kind of a common thing because, frankly, there aren't many Xamarin Studio users on Windows from what I'm finding in the forums and in the community. Oh, it's, yeah. 
if you're on Windows, you probably have the Visual Studio uh, license. So here's what I was wondering, and this is maybe just me uh, just still kind of uh, in aftershock from OSCON. Right. But it was it was unbelievable how many Macs were at OSCON. In fact, I would say it's fair yep. enough to say, uh, you know, in a ratio, there was essentially no other manufacturer there. Now, that's not technically accurate because the sign-up booths and the registration booths had Dell laptops provided by the facilities, and there were a couple of ThinkPads there. But it it was unbelievably skewed towards the Macs. And a lot of these guys are open-source software developers. They're on the Macs. And the other folks that were there are IT folks that their company sends them because, to be frank, OSCON's like to get the good tickets where you can go see all the sessions, it's like 1200 or $2,000. So usually right. it's a company expense. And I thought that's for sure where you'd see the IBM ThinkPads and the Dell laptops. MacBooks. MacBooks, MacBooks. And we talked about this on Linux Unplugged. Like, it was unbelievable how many MacBooks. And so I'm wondering, is this, did I just see a skewed reality? Or is this just our developers switching to Mac OS X, like, in mass, in mass droves? And so for Xamarin, they look at that and they say, well, you know, we really, we're going to go after the largest percentage of our customer base. They might not be the biggest in desktop market share, but they're the largest in the people who buy our software. So we're going to go right. target for the Mac. Because the other thing that's interesting is there's, there's specifically cloud-targeted Linux platform distributions now, like CoreOS. It's getting a lot of traction. And they've just released a whole series of guides on how to build out CoreOS, and all of the guides are using Mac OS X in the instructions for a Linux distribution. So what the hell is it? Is it, is it just... Did Apple just like come in and just win uh, for all for the developers in in, in mass or? Yeah, no, it, you know, I wouldn't say win because I know we'll get a ton of hate mail, but you know, I'm, I'm just thinking like um, it is very math heavy out there, right? So is that why Xamarin's I, doing it, or do they really think, or is it really if you're on? See, I, what I guess I'm arguing with is I don't think it's well if you're on Windows, you would just use Visual Studio because I think anybody who's building on something like Xamarin's doing, they want to own that whole experience. They want you. They want you to be in their studio. I, I don't think they do actually. One really? one of their main features that they're selling to larger companies was the Visual Studio integration. Like if you, if you take a look at their marketing materials, they have the the you know. So if take a look at their pricing page, right? But to me, uh, that honestly just seems like, oh, here's an on-ramp so you can easily transition to using us. No, it, it, the, so I've used it with Visual Studio as well. I, I use both. Yeah. The v- Visual Studio integration is not shallow. Yeah, okay. It is fully functional. And if you have a Visual Studio setup, as I know many .NET developers do, right. they're, they're hyper-functional. Well, and haven't they had some cooperation with Microsoft on yes. some of that? Yeah. Yeah. So. I'm looking at the pricing right now. Yeah, and and the per month is a little shady because it's not in fact per month. Yeah, you pay annually, so it's a thousand bucks a year. Last week they made the indie per month, but for the so the other problem is like if you are a company who has more than five people on payroll, you automatically don't qualify for the indie, which is very annoying. So is Marion Studio just mono develop? Is it just it? They forked it. Okay. Um, having used the most recent version of Mono Develop, I can say it's significantly better than, than that. Yeah, okay. it's a, lot, a lot of the bugs have been fixed, okay. at least on Macintosh. Okay. So you're looking at $83 a month, which is really, what, $1,000 a year per developer per platform. And that gets you uh, email support. It gets you Zamarian forms, uh, unlimited app sizes. Oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting limitation. And so they will publish. You can publish directly from Zamarian Studio to Play and uh, App Store. 
They do like. I that. haven't tried the, the commercial store publication abilities yet on Xamarin Studio. I'm not sure that yes, I would. That's I would, what they I claim, would. and even the Amazon yeah. one. They say. Yeah, there's there's some sort of integration. That's there, neat. No, so I, there's a the pricing rubs me a little bit the wrong way. Yeah, a little high. If if not not even high, it just. So why would you be using Xamarin and not targeting more than one platform? Right, of course. So why are you charging me per seat per platform? Why not just say it's two thousand dollars per seat instead of saying it's a thousand per seat per platform? Ah, uh, right? uh, yes. Because so that yes. that was something that you know when we did our purchasing, um, we had multiple calls with a, a very helpful sales rep from Xamarin, and it was something that I just kept getting tripped up on because one, you know, I'm not old enough to have paid for software development tools, right? Like very few people are. It's not very few, but I can't think of too many developers I know, even you know, five to ten years older than me, that have actually paid for tools other than maybe IntelliJ. That's kind of a different thing, right? No, like paying for languages, paying for platforms. Yeah, that kind of died out in the early nineties. I mean, you didn't pay for Java. Do you know what I mean? Like. I'm thinking like the Borland Delphi kind of thing. I'm not sorry, but it might be. Yeah, it's definitely old school. Yeah, it's super old school. And maybe it's just because this is not the type of licensing that I'm used to. That it feels very foreign and very deceptive to me. Um, well, it the, would seem it would seem to me that if they're going to actually make a product that can do do what they claim, then it would probably take a, lot, a hell of a lot of work. Yeah. So it was interesting, though. The reason they say they split it between platforms is some companies don't give both give all their developers both platforms. They'll just have the shared code base, right, which they use the portable class library thing in .NET, and the one guy who does um, who does iOS will have the iOS license, and the other guy will have Android. Oh, okay. It kind of makes sense, but yeah. not the way we work over a fingertip. We're kind of all. Right, one guy. So a lot of places, probably you got the Android guys, you got the uh, iOS guys and gals. But at fingertip, one person could make the Android or the iOS version. More or less. I mean, we have you know the biggest separation I'd say is we have server guys who just don't do front end. Nice. Can I be one of those guys? If if this podcasting (laughs) thing doesn't work out, I'll come do that. Ironically, uh, to my knowledge, they're all on Linux. Hey, there you go. And, And. Arch is creeping up at fingertip. It's very annoying. Okay. Trap will you lose your freedom. Watch out for that Arch, man. Once it gets you, you every time someone brings in a Linux machine, I get another Mac just to <laughs> counterbalance you guys. Right. Out. Yeah, to even it all out. <laughs> nice. So, so uh, what, yeah. what uh, so you kind of started to talk a little bit about, are you shipping apps now with this? Have you shipped an app to a customer using uh, Zamarian Studio and uh, writing it in C Sharp and deploying it to uh, iOS and Android? And how does that yeah. work? So you know, you said you don't write once, and you say you didn't, you can't write once and then build for either. So are you writing yeah, so like a, a like a core and a top? Or let's get into that a little bit. Yeah, I'm so, curious about that. Um, our quiet but present .NET listeners will know about portable class libraries, right? What is a portable class library? It is basically a fancy way to say this code compiles to the CLR and it is platform neutral, um, meaning that it can be. You can compile it, and then it can compile to like Xamarin, which they call like Monotouch dot Android Monotouch dot. I think they say Apple or iPhone. I don't remember what the exact extension. It's not super important, uh, but it could also be compiled for Windows. It could also be compiled for WinPhone. It could also be compiled for really anything else that adheres to that PCL specification, right? That CLR deal. 
Super complicated way to say the code is platform neutral. Now in that uh, portable class library, you have to be super careful about what assemblies you call in, right? Because once you call on an assembly that doesn't exist on all the platforms you're targeting, you can't compile. Which is really obnoxious. Yeah. Because uh, Microsoft has a rich open source tool called NuGet that has very, very, very few things that are compatible like that. Again, this is a side effect of probably Xamarin being new. And, you know, over on the .NET side, the open source culture is is kind of in its infancy. So is this so this isn't foreseen developing for the common lowest denominator? No, and here's why. So your portable class library would only can contain like your database access, your networking access, your uh, your sorting. I mean, maybe we should do like a case example, right? Let's say you're doing a taskless app. Everybody understands that, right? It would have your data models. You're dealing with, uh, you know, perhaps sorting your tasks, your algorithms there dealing with user accounts. As soon as you got into visuals or platform-specific stuff, you would end up writing platform-specific coding in class Xamarin. For instance, if you had a, um, let's say, a table view that lists all your tasks, right? So let's say you had a, like a task for today view in this example. You would have two separate classes. One would be UI table view controller, you know, daily tasks. On the Android side, you have daily task activity. And you'd have to write those two pieces of code quite separately, right? 100% separate. But they would call into the portable class library for the data models, the networking, uh, the database access. And that stuff you can use over and over again. I would right, because that stuff is totally platform neutral. Yeah. So, you know, you're making an HTTP GET request. It doesn't matter, right? Like, it, it, it's fine. Though there is a trick where you have to be careful that you, you have to watch your threading a little bit. And, you know, there's some things you really have, have to be you know, .NET is a big, big space, and you can Google around try to do something in C Sharp and get a lot of examples that will automatically crash on mobile because they use the main thread. So you have to really buy into the gospel of the uh, await and uh, async await thing in C Sharp, which basically, how, do, how can we say this? It, it, it does asynchronous operations, but not necessarily networking operations, mm. right? Though it is commonly used for networking. So mm. let's let's do a... Here's a trivial example, right? That HTTP GET response I was talking about. That should be an async await task. With opening a file, no matter how small the file in Xamarin, should also be an async await task. Yeah, sure. Which you might not expect it to be, right? Because you could get away with that in native iOS and probably in native Android. Okay. Um, it's just a quirk with, with the way it works, and you just have to be a little more... Cognizant as you're going about... Well, Keep to it be honest, mind. you shouldn't be doing any of this crap on the main thread anyway. Yeah. But it's less forgiving um, than certainly, than certainly native, native Objective-C is, right? It, it is far less forgiving. So if you think something should be asynchronous, it probably should. Um, it causes you to really think about how you structure your code, and it forces you to really separate your UI from your business logics. Because anything that's in the UI, you have to write twice. Yes, right. So, you know, there's, you know, there's a common joke with, with iOS developers that, where's your code? Oh, it's all in the, ta- it's all in the view controller. You just throw everything in the view controller, right? It's just, a, you know, we're in the app delegate on a Mac app. Um, Xamarin Classic, at least, will punish you severely for that. 
by making you write everything twice. And therefore debug the same code twice, right? Am I wrong, or can you also make um, a desktop application with this? Can you can you use this to uh, make a mono app for? You can use it to make a, a Mac app. Now a Mac there app. are okay. there are rumors of a Windows eight offering coming out. Okay. Um, but the way they've architected this, there is no reason that they couldn't just keep adding platforms, right? But like, say, you know, I mean, because I guess what I'm thinking about there is, I I, I like the idea that. If we accept the reality, it seems like a lot of companies are just have just decided, all right, we're going to make mobile apps like media streaming and stuff like that. Right. And maybe we'll make a web front end. And then what I'm hoping is if things like this come along and it really makes it possible to create desktop apps too, and you know if they're writing the UI separately, so it's 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 designed to be a desktop application from a design standpoint. Uh, you know, something that facilitates that uh, could at least keep applications coming to the desktop. It's you know, because right now it just seems like all of all of these companies and, and developer time and attention is is really mobile focused. Which you know, it's like we said earlier, it's where the money's at. But I like the idea that at least some of these tools could be repurposed to make desktop applications too. Well, they already are, right? There is Xamarin for Mac. Yeah. I, I'm not sure that the future of desktop apps isn't like Chrome apps still. <laughs> I, I I don't. I, I'm not sure how. How many native desktop apps you're going to have in the future? Oh. You might have like a lot of small utility apps for yeah. small developers, like like maybe people like that. But you're not going to get, you know, Spotify has a native desktop app on both platforms, but its Chrome app works just fine. Mm-hmm. And I'm not entirely sure that, you know, had Spotify started a few years later, would there be desktop apps? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, um, Pandora gets away with it for the most part. Yeah. So anyway, the bottom line is I definitely like Xamarin. I definitely like where it's uh, where it is going. Do you feel like it could give you guys a bit of an edge? Well, I feel like it's an, it's a great tool in the toolbox, right? It's it's just an, another tool in the tool belt. Like any other tool, it is not right for everybody. It's well, but right isn't project. it maybe one of them? I mean, okay, if I'm misunderstanding, it sounds like you could you can reclaim an s ton of time and tell a client uh, you might be able to budget lower than somebody else because. Because of this tool. I mean, it sounds like, potentially, for the clients that are looking for multi-platform support, that usually comes at a premium, and they can come to fingertip, and they say, we want this, and you guys, if assuming the other guys that are bidding aren't using a tool like this, you're going to have an advantage. So we find that we're bidding against a lot of HTML5 shops. Ah. So, so they already, already are kind of coming at it from that angle. Right, and they still tend to be a bit lower, uh, because they're kind of shipping phone gap and jQuery mobile. Right. They that makes sense. Like, yeah, that does. Yeah. yeah, boy, that's a balls. But so then you have to see if you can win the native battle, right? Is it you go that approach? Right, be so like, performance. Yeah. The other thing is like, I'm not sure how native Xamarin is. Like, technically, I, I've read the docs, and you know, it is certainly compiling to native code, and certainly, I mean, we've done some benchmarking. It is pretty much there, right? Like, no, no significant, no visible. Uh, difference between a native app and a Xamarin app that we've been able to find in the use case of normal line of business apps, right? Games are a whole different story. Yeah. HTML5, we can't say the same about on mobile just yet, right? Especially on those older devices. 
Um, and I'm, you know, I'm not, it's hard for me because I actually like HTML5. I love it for the desktop. I just don't, you know, I, I, I never thought that HTML5 was a, was a premium development toolkit for mobile. Now, I am biased here, but uh, because I am actually right now wearing an HTML5 t-shirt, uh, if you're watching the video version, I'm sporting oh, it to the stream right now. Uh, suck it so hard. So, uh, but I got to say, um, I too have been an HTML5 doubter, but I don't know. I feel like in the last six months, I've been impressed a couple of times in some big ways. So we'll see. I just, yeah, all of these things are different. I feel like we kind of established this. All these things are different use case options. So I, I also feel like there's been a lot of HTML5 drum beating originally against like native and now against these other toolkits. Yeah. I, I really don't think this is a zero sum game. Exactly. Right. I, there's certainly a place for, I mean, we, you know, there are shops local to me, well, relatively local, that only do HTML5 development, right? And they do just fine. And you might argue that they do better than fingertip, right? Because they're very focused. They have less of the overhead of having to have different people that specialize in different things, which mm-hmm. can be yeah. tedious for scheduling. I, I would say that the disadvantage of being an HTML5 shop right now is that platform feels like it's in a lot of flux. Um, you know, at all levels, from the tools right. levels to like the who has power over setting the standards and pushes things in a certain Google uh, and, you know, things like that. So it's there's a lot of things that are in flux about it. Well, and I'm also, you know, I don't want to hit this. This is a show for another day. But, you know, when we say small five, don't we just mean WebKit? I suppose so. Yeah. Right. Or uh, so, what's the new ones? Uh, not WebKit. What's Google's new one? Speed, SpeedX. Yeah. Speedy, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, um, Speedy. It's spyware. Oh, boy. Yeah, it, this is a very weird time to be blink, a small blink, development Blink, company. Speedy is the, is the HTTP replacement. Blink right, is right, the, right, right. yeah, Blink, yeah. blink, blink, yeah, yeah. See, they have such, so many stupid names coming out for week. <laughs> no, but this is a weird time to be a small development shop because you're faced with this problem of, you know, being a strictly native shop is a totally valid answer and will probably be forever, right? Being an HTML5 shop is a valid answer. Being a Xamarin shop probably will be a valid answer. Being a native plus Xamarin is currently valid. The The problem I see is that you end up in this situation where you end up making a decision and having to defend it against contrary evidence, right? Like I, I'm reading a lot of bloggers who are very passionate about HTML5 development with JavaScript an insert toolkit name here, right? So whatever JavaScript framework du jour that they're championing that day, right? you know, it's not that it improves upon what was done before. It's the best, right? And and you're obviously stupid if you're still, God forbid, using (laughs) jQuery or, right? But it's the attitude of like, there's something about the HTML5 and, and more specifically the JavaScript world that still rubs me kind of the wrong way. That's, I still feel like it's got a little bit of, you know, there, there, there needs to be a little bit of a calling, a little bit of a standardization there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, also, and, and I guess it's hard to know when we've crossed the line, but uh, 
let's see some let's see some evidence of some really amazing web apps that are finally really breaking through, and maybe we see that with Google Docs and and really like things like Facebook are a web application. Like Facebook is a huge freaking application. So I guess we are kind of there, but I feel like for the kind of stuff you're talking about, the category of apps that you're specifically talking about, I, all of the implementations I've seen there with this custom application yeah. that a company needs where they're retrieving stuff that integrates with the, all of their software stack, those all suck. And I feel like the evidence there is not strong for HTML5 Wait, apps. Do you know what I'm hearing a lot about? What? This will be shocking to you. TypeScript. What? How? Microsoft. Oh. It went from zero to... I think what's happening is these enterprise IT shop developers are um, are not – they're just not comfortable with JavaScript. And they need that uh, you know, more familiar syntax, more familiar way of, way of doing things that TypeScript can offer. Hmm. Well, TypeScript lets you write JavaScript the way you really want to, so they say. I – you know uh, – Boy, this is one of those. This is one of these uh, things from Microsoft that uh, I don't know how to grok yet. I feel like this is one of those you got to watch and see. But uh, I kind of, I don't know. I mean, I've kind of heard good things. So yeah, no, it doesn't seem like a bad language. It's just a little surprising, right? Because Google did this with Dart and kind of failed miserably. That's true. Um, well, and I, yeah. now we're gonna get emails saying Dart is alive and strong. So there you go. Watch. Somebody's like, I'm using Dart right now. Somebody's writing something in Dart right now, Mike. Yeah, but I think we're getting off the rails. And I think this, uh, I think TypeScript could be a conversation for a different day. Totally. Yeah. The, all right. Dart, TypeScript, CoffeeScript thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Well, uh, we'd love to hear any thoughts, any insights you have to this. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click the contact link, choose Quarter Radio from the drop down, or go to quarterradio.reddit.com. That's also where, if you'd like to nudge the show in a certain content direction, you could submit links or vote things up or down. We also have feedback threads. So you have something, if you have something specific to this episode, you can go find the thread there and toss it in there. Otherwise, any of your thoughts on anything we cover, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact, choose Quarter Radio from the drop down. Boom! Oh, and don't forget. We're doing that extra bonus show on Thursday right after Tech Talk today, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, jblive.tv. We're going to do a call-in episode, so get your headset, get Mumble installed, and join us. Then come in there and talk to us about any of this stuff. Mike, is there anything else we want to cover before we run today? No, I think we're good. All right, why don't you leave, folks? Give them a little wisdom on where they can find you throughout the week. Go find me at DominicM.com you go or FingertipTech.com. Yeah, in fact, DominicM.com has his review, uh, so go check that out. We'll also have a link to that in the show notes. You can follow me on Twitter, Twitter.com slash ChrisLAS. Go over to JupiterBroadcasting.com slash Calendar to find out about all of our live shows. And join me every day, Monday through Thursday at least, JBLive.tv, 9 a.m. noon Eastern for Tech Talk Today. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of Coda Radio. We'll see you right back here next week. <laughs> <laughs>